Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links here on MMAfighting.com. And yes, I know I told you last week. We're moving the show to Tuesdays, and we will be moving to Tuesdays, but that is not what is happening this week. The world is a crazy place. The MMA space is a crazy place. MMA fighting is a crazy place. And as you all know, this show, the BTL Virtual Arena, is a crazy place. As we are entering this program, we got some topics, no doubt about that, but compared to most weeks, this is not the craziest time we have had in our sport in terms of news, but... Let's get into this thing. Let us introduce the combatants first. He makes his long awaited return to the show, and I believe outside of James Lynch, he is the only person to actually appear in every iteration that this show has had over the last five years. From MMAfighting.com, one of the best in the game, Damon Martin. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to have that honor bestowed upon me. I feel like I go back a long ways. Yes, before this was actually like a. a a game show type thing. This is more of a debate show, and you were part of that as well. But we welcome back to the show a man who got back in the win column last week. He just needed to hit the refresh button, came out on fire last week. The spicy hot takes were real. Mr. No Gray Area himself from MMAfighting.com. Jed Bashu, how you doing, my friend? Like, I'm going to put that on my business card. Mr. No Gray Area. Because gray area is for cowards, and any if I'm anything, it's not a coward. A lot of things, but the coward ain't one of them. That is very true. Well, let us get right into this thing, and let's begin. We talked about MMA fighting being a crazy place. We had the return of the MMA Hour during this week, Monday and Wednesday. Catch that every Monday and Wednesday with the returning Ari Hawani. And the very first guest on this new chapter of the show was the number one lightweight in the world. According to the only rankings that matter, the MMA fighting global rankings, Dustin Poirier, who discussed his win over Conor McGregor, talked about if there might be a fourth fight down the road. And the most interesting thing, what he thinks could be next. And there seems to be two options, Damon Martin. One is the obvious answer. The title fight with Charles Oliveira seems like the only option coming out of the second Conor fight of 2021. But somehow, Damon, even though he's lost two in a row and three out of four, Nathan Diaz has found his way into this conversation. So let me ask you this. If you had to put a number grade on it from one to 10, what are the chances the UFC actually goes through with Poirier versus Diaz over Poirier versus Oliveira? 
You know, this is a this is a tough one because I think it you know a lot of it really does come down to Dustin's preference. But I would say the chances that they book Nate Diaz against Dustin Poirier is around an eight or a nine. And the reason I say that is is because this is uh, to quote you know Eminem, he's got one shot. And, and what I mean by that is. If, if Dustin Poirier goes out there and beats Charles Oliveira, then ADS fight goes away. They're not going to let him fight for a title. I think we all know that part of it's not going to happen. But in Dustin Poirier's case, he can cash in another massive payday before fighting for the title while everyone is still already calling him the best lightweight in the sport. Absolutely no disrespect to Charles Oliveira. He's an incredible fighter, put together an incredible resume, and what he's done lately has been fantastic. But I don't think anyone is fooling themselves in, in, in believing that Dustin Poirier isn't the best lightweight in the world right now in active competition. So Dustin doesn't need a belt right now to prove that. Everyone's already calling him the best lightweight in the world. So if he wants to cash in on another massive payday, Connor's gone for at least a year before he could bludgeon him again and, and score another you know seven-figure payday. Nate Diaz is the only other guy out there he could logistically face who would give him that kind of money, that kind of payday in a relatively short amount of time. We're already into August, so December's not that far away. He fights Nate Diaz in December, and then he moves on to Charles Oliveira. It's basically this or nothing, because if he beats Charles, and I like Charles, but I think Dustin Poirier wins that fight, then Nate Diaz goes away forever. And then he's fighting Islam Makhachev. Then he's fighting Justin Gaethje again. Then he's fighting you know, maybe Michael Chandler down the road. Nate Diaz goes away forever once once Dustin is champion. Jed, what do you think? What are the chances the UFC calls a UFC-esque audible and goes Poirier-Diaz next over the title fight? Four, four out of ten. <clears throat> I'm giving a little more credit to it than maybe I should, and, and really that's just because uh, I think Poirier, Poirier really – really likes money because we all really like money, man. And the best place to get money is fighting Nate Diaz. Cause you're going to get a win and you're going to get a big old payday. I think one aspect of this that hasn't really been considered or talked about for me is Poye's willingness to do this is I feel like the Habib loss still plays a factor for Poye because in general, he's said, you know, I'd like to be the champion at some point, but it's just not a big, big impetus for him and to me the only reason that kind of makes sense is he he recognizes that he is the best guy in the sport and all he's done is lose to habib and but even if he's the best lightweight in active competition i think a part of him still re recognizes that he's not really the best lightweight in the world because habib isn't dead he just is choosing not to compete so i, I think that makes it a little more likely because because of the whole history for it. But I still think he's going to end up fighting Charles Oliveira because I disagree with Damon. I think that the Nate Diaz fight absolutely still exists if Poirier gets the belt. Nate Diaz isn't dropping to 155 to compete for the lightweight title. Like That's just never going to happen again. Nate Diaz is more likely to go fight at 185 than he is to fight at 155. And so I think Poirier can handle his business, get the belt that he so richly deserves later this year, and then he can pick and choose his spots. Like, sure, in this world, if he's the champion, he's supposed to face the Benil Dariushes and the Islam Makachevs of the world. But we all know that's not true. Like, you don't have to fight guys that you're supposed to as the champion. <laughs> Has anyone been paying attention to the sport for the last five years? Like, he can just have the belt, and they can do an interim title fight between Benil Dariush and Islam Makachev. It will sell four pay-per-views. 
Uh, it will all be people from AKA that buy that pay-per-view. They can win an interim title. It'll be great. And Poirier can go fight uh, Nate Diaz. You know, I know that they're teammates and training partners, but I firmly believe that Poirier and Jorge Masvidal would set aside a, 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 a teammate hood to get that bag. And you know they'd be getting that bag if those two dudes fought. Like, I think he can just pick up the belt to pick it up. And he can still do whatever the hell he wants because we haven't gotten to see it yet because he has only fought Connor this year. But I think we're in for the Dustin Poirier-Connor McGregor bump. I think beating Connor twice, uh, doing it in emphatic fashion the first time, and really beating his ass the second time, even with all the weirdness that surrounded it, I think Dustin Poirier could very well be like a, a real pay-per-view draw on his own right now. And the next fight will determine it. You know, we'll see. But if, if he's that, if he's what I think he is in that, he gets to call all the shots. doesn't matter whether he has a belt or not. So if you're Dustin Poirier, Jed, if the UFC called you and said, yo, Diamond, what up? You pick title fighter Nate. What are you picking if you're Dustin? Are, are you just going title and then you just feel that Nate – is just going to be there whenever you need him, essentially? Yeah, that's that's me. I mean, honestly, there's no wrong way to eat this Reese's, Mike. Like, he can go – because he's, he's going to beat Nate. Like, it's not like Nate's going to beat him. So if he goes and fights and beats Nate, then he can still fight for the title after that. Or if he goes and wins the title, he can fight and beat Nate after. Like, it it's his option. The only reason I would choose to take the title now is – one, it checks the box because, like Damon, I, I agree. I think he is 100% going to beat Charles Oliveira. Uh, and so it checks that box. He no longer is an interim champion. Next, he is, you know, the former actual UFC undisputed lightweight champion. Uh, and if he passes, things get more interesting if, if Oliveira has to defend. Because let's say uh, Gaethje is fighting Chandler, theoretically, in New York. I know all that's in the air. Let's say he fights that. Justin Gates going to beat that ass because Michael Chandler sucks at fighting. I've said it many times. And uh, Justin Gaethje will then beat that ass of Charles Oliveira, too. Uh, I am of the opinion that Justin Gaethje is the best lightweight in the world right now. Uh, Dustin Poirier deserves that title because of the win over him and what he's accomplished. But I, if you put those two dudes in a cage tomorrow, I'm picking Gaethje to beat him. And if, he, if Poirier waits... He might not come back to Oliveira. He might come back to a much more difficult style matchup because if he waits and then he gets injured, now now he beats Nate. Okay, now he's not fighting till the end of next year for the belt. By that time, shit, maybe it's Islam Makachev who's the champion. Maybe it's Justin Gaethje. Like, those are hard, hard fights, and I don't know that the appeal's the same. Like, I think you pick up the belt right now, and Nate Diaz is always going to be there. Damon, do you agree with Jed that Poirier on his own – could be a box office draw because of the Connor rub. Like, has he gotten that? Because there's certain guys that have allure. We'll we'll dive into Nate and his allure in a matter of moments. But Dustin hasn't done a lot of media since he beat Conor McGregor. I know he's matured and he's kind of let go of what he feels is the less important part of the game. He just wants to go in there and train and and fight dudes. He doesn't want to do media. He doesn't want to do interviews. But is that maybe a mistake here coming off that win over Connor? Like, should he have? kind of gotten out there a little bit more and built his name even more so or was winning was winning that fight enough I think the mystique of what Dustin has done this year is enough for him he doesn't really need to say much at this point he destroyed Connor back in January and he seemed like he was on his way to completely destroying and dismantling Connor a second time with the broken leg and Connor coming unhinged 
since the fight going after everybody, you know, from DC to Bisping to, you know, pretty much anybody and everybody he's not going to fight. I think Dustin could just sit back and relish his victory knowing he's gotten one over on Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is fighting this war for Dustin Poirier because Poirier got the win over him twice. And now McGregor going lunatic uh, has pretty much, you know, proved the point that, that Poirier beat him and it beat him to the point where we're not sure what kind of Conor is going to come back, you know, from the broken leg. Uh, so I think Poirier is in a perfect position right now where he gets to call the shots. He's in a weird position where he's not the champion, but he really does get to call the shots right now, which is why I think he should call the option and say fight Nate Diaz in December because, again, Charles Oliveira, his other option right now is probably going to be fighting Benil Dariush, okay? Uh, much like Jed said, that's probably going to do four pay-per-views. Uh, but, again, what are you? What are we missing out on? He either beats Charles Oliveira for the title or he beats Benil Dariush for the title. I like Dustin, though, to beat both those guys. Gaethje is – I think Gaethje will end up fighting Chandler. I don't even know if the UFC is going to go to New York in November. I think that's going to turn political pretty soon. Uh, so I think that fight's still going to happen if Gaethje wins. Then, of course, yes, that does set up Gaethje to be in a, in a number one contender's position. Maybe he ends up fighting Makachev if he gets past Dos Anjos, uh, depending on how things play out. So, yeah, I don't think Dustin needs the title right now. And I, do, I don't think they're going to have him win the title – and then just go to 170 pounds for a catchweight fight against Nate Diaz. Uh, at this point, especially if Diaz is now, you know, sitting off a couple of losses, I don't think they want their lightweight champion to to even risk the possibility that Nate Diaz somehow pulls off the upset. You know, somehow goes out there and has that Leon Edwards performance where he you know comes surging back in the fifth round and somehow gets a finish. They don't want that look for their lightweight champion. Uh, unless there's a belt on the line. If he goes up and loses to Kamara Usman, it's not bad. He loses to Nate Diaz. It's terrible. So, yeah, I think he should fight Nate Diaz, get the paycheck, because the reality is if he fights Charles Oliveira, it's it's a good pay-per-view. Dustin Poirier is a big name now. It might do 700,000 buys. That's not bad. He fights Nate Diaz, it does $1.1 million, and that's a whole other zero on his paycheck at the end of the day from pay-per-view points. Uh, I'm a big believer in this is prize fighting. These are prize fighters. Go out and get the biggest prize. And when Conor McGregor sidelined, Nate Diaz is the biggest prize he can get right now. And I will disagree with Jed on one thing. He's never going to fight George Masvidal. I've actually, here, let me do a little name drop. And I hate doing this. I'll do a little name drop. And I was at American Top Team a couple of years ago, and I saw them sparring. It was a fun sparring session, man. They beat the hell out of each other. But Mike Brown is their, is, you know, their head coach. They share a head coach. They are very close. I don't think they'll ever fight each other. Uh, even for a big bag, I just I think Masvidal sees enough other, enough other options out there with you know maybe Leon Edwards or maybe he goes after Nate Diaz in the future something like that. They don't need to fight each other. So Nate Diaz is kind of the last man standing that can get Dustin a huge paycheck unless he goes back to the to the counter fight for a fourth time. Damon, Here, how, here's my thing ahead. though. Like Damon, Damon just made my point for me. He just said. They, Dustin Poirier fighting for the belt. He could maybe pull 700,000 buys. It's an enormous number. You remember the last time Nate Diaz fought? He fought on a card with Israel Adesanya. Two, UFC 263. That had Israel Adesanya. It had the rematch between Figueredo and Moreno. That thing sold, I think, an estimated 600,000 buys. So, Damon just said that Poirier can pull more by himself then Nate Diaz contributed to UFC 263, even if you give it a bump because it would be Poirier fighting Nate Diaz, so the confluence of power there kicks it up a notch. He's going to do substantially similar, and he just gets the gold. He he wants that gold. He needs to get that gold because he deserves that gold, and he can pull money with anybody. He his, The world is his oyster. He doesn't need to take a detour right now to Nate Diaz land. 
But the right fight will draw better eyeballs. And Nate Diaz fighting Leon Edwards was a fight no one really cared about. Let's be, let's just be honest about that. It was the third fight on a pay-per-view, and no one really cared about that fight that much. Uh, nobody did. And, and it was supposed to be the fight to put Leon Edwards over, and then he goes out and has a fifth round where he nearly gets finished. And now all anyone could talk about is Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz headlining against George Masvidal, that did great pay-per-view numbers. Nate Diaz in a fiery fight against Dustin Poirier, those two guys do not like each other, and the hype that will be built around that to close out the year in December, you're telling me that wouldn't be a huge show? Absolutely be a huge show, and it would be far bigger than anything he would do against Charles Oliveira or uh, or, or Benil Dariush. So just, again, reality is Dustin can score a much bigger payday fighting Nate Diaz, and the risk is minimal. I mean, again, we, we both admit he'll beat Nate Diaz. Chances are, but... The unknown factor, the Nate Diaz factor is still out there. People still believe in him that he can pull off the upset. And uh, and like I said, I don't think once he gets the title that Nate Diaz fight is really going to be there for him anymore, especially if Nate isn't willing to cut to 155. So, yeah, I think, Dustin, go for the bank, man. Go for the paycheck. Make your bank. Make your money. And then go get that title. Damon, how does Nate Diaz do this? I mean, people love the guy. And for 23 minutes and change, he got the work from Leon Edwards in June. It wasn't like the most aesthetically pleasing fight of all time. Leon didn't go out there and just <laughs> land 400 strikes on him. But understatement of the year. I mean, but this is this is one way traffic through 23 minutes. But you know, the, everyone remembers the final 90 seconds or so of that fight. And before that, he was getting the wood put to him, as Jed Mishu says so often, by Jorge Mazadal. Fight is stopped. Very few people thought that fight was going to get any better for Nate, but his value just continues to skyrocket whether he wins or loses, and he's still mentioned in these fights with these guys that the vast majority of people feel are so far ahead of him. Like, if you asked 100 people who wins between Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier, 98 are going to say Dustin Poirier probably wins that fight. But there he is in this conversation. How does this happen, Damon? How does he keep doing this? There are a few names in this industry where losses just don't seem to matter until it gets ugly. And the reason I say that is is because the three names I'll mention always seem to get the fights they want, the big fights they want, and get you know name dropped at certain times. And that's Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, and for a long time it was BJ Penn. Now, sadly, we know BJ, you know, the end of his career did not go well, and I think we're past the point where anyone would call him out and feel good about it. But there was a time when even BJ coming off a bad loss or, or a couple bad losses, people would still say, oh, it's BJ Penn. He's a legend. Of course you give him that fight. When Nick Diaz was coming back, he hadn't fought in five freaking years, going on six years now. And people were like, oh, yeah, give him Leon Edwards. Give him give him Gilbert Burns. I'm like, he hasn't fought in six years. His last fight was against Anderson Silva middleweight. And people were like, give him the number one contender. That's just the appeal these guys have. And Nate Diaz, listen. Nate Diaz, you can say what you like about him, but he somehow kind of falls in these situations where he has kind of a built-in, I hate to use the word excuse, but it's an excuse when people say, well, Nate Diaz is losing fights. Well, he lost to Connor in the majority decision. Nate would say he won that fight. He lost to Jorge Masvidal uh, due to cuts. He'd say, well, cuts stopped me. I was coming back in that fourth round. Would he have? Probably not, but that doesn't matter. It was stopped due to cuts. Look at Leon Edwards. If, he, if Everyone said, well, if there was a sixth round, he would have beaten him. He had him <laughs> on the ropes. Nate Diaz just has an ability, like a weird ability, to, to make the conversation about him and keep it close enough. Like I said, coming out of the fight with Leon Edwards, what were we talking about with Leon Edwards? We were talking about Nate Diaz's fifth round. No one has said word one about Leon Edwards rounds one through four. All we were talking about, all anybody was talking about, was Nate Diaz coming back in the fifth round. And so that's how he kind of injects himself, and he's just got that built-in fan appeal 
where people want to see him fight. Like I said, I mean, Brock Lesnar was another one. Like the guy, you know, got demolished by Alistair Overeem and he's coming back and people are saying, oh man, he could jump right in and fight for the title. And I'm like, good Lord. Like there's just certain guys that have that appeal, no matter what their record is, no matter how they've looked in recent fights, people just want to see them in those big fights. And I think that's what Nate Diaz has. And Nate Diaz, weirdly, when you look at his last few fights, he has these built-in situations where he can say, well, hold on now. I didn't really lose to Connor. Hold on now. I didn't really lose to to uh, Jorge Masvidal. And that keeps him in the conversation. How does he do this, Jed Mishu? How does Nate Diaz continue to do this? I I won't lie. I got distracted when Damon was talking about BJ and the uh, a bad end to his career, which I don't recall. BJ retired after he knocked out <laughs> Matt Hughes the second time. And he's gone down as the greatest lightweight of all time so i don't know what damon's even talking about uh as far as nick or nate diaz goes because nick diaz isn't fighting again i'll I'll (laughs) die he's not fighting and it's just not going to happen uh as far as nate goes uh he does it one he is charmed he lives a charmed life in that way two he has a the appropriate like he has the it factor and that's the most important thing but he also he's just a tough bastard man like so even when he loses, he is just so tough and so built for this that he can hang his hat on something and say, yeah, you know, Connor won the rematch, but it, it was a judge decision that's garbage. Or uh, Masvidal was just putting the size nines to me, but I, it was a cut stoppage, so it wasn't really – I didn't really lose that fight. Or Leon Edwards, you know, I I put him on his ass. Like that's – he gets to do those things because he is really, really, really tough. And that is the underlying thing that's important. Like, you can't be Nate Diaz and and everything he is if you can't fight. And sure, Nate Diaz isn't the best fighter. He's not even a top 10 fighter, if we're being honest. But that dude is is born for this. He can absolutely fight. And that people gravitate towards that, to that and to <clears> – <throat> I mean, honestly, you can say anything you want about the Diaz's. They are the most authentic people in the sport. Like just they, and that that matters. Like you know, a lot of, a lot of other fighters who are authentic to a point, but the Diaz is they they are themselves unimpeachably, and so people gravitate to him, even when being themselves is absolute lunacy and saying stuff like Jorge Masvidal didn't beat me or whatever. Like that's categorically insane, but it's not. They're not saying it the way Connor says, "I'm gonna kill your family" or whatever horseshit he was spouting off at the end of this last one like connor doesn't believe those things he's saying him because he's playing a bit nate believes the jory masvidal didn't beat him he believes that in his very soul and so people can buy that like if you if you tell a lie with enough confidence you can sell that lie and the diaz's have lied so confidently that they themselves believe their own horseshit and so people (laughs) love them and i love them they're wonderful they are amusing characters and we are better for having them in this sport. Uh, so, yeah, that's how they do it. Let me just throw this out there to, to Jed's point, though. When you talk about the lie, let me just throw out a little George Costanza wisdom for you here from Seinfeld. Remember, Jed, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> yeah. Well played. Well played. We will see what happens with Dustin Poirier's next move. I, I certainly get the Diaz option. There's a part of me, even though I think Poirier would be favored in a big way i, I kind of want to see what would happen with poirier and Oliveira. that's the one i want to see as a fan but oh we'll for see what sure happens. i want to see that i want to see it i just want to see what would happen i feel like you know is Oliveira that 
underappreciated right now. We'll see. If he beats Dustin Poirier, that conversation goes away. But we're going to move ahead. Good round. We got more to go, and I am excited for it. But the first round and the first point goes to... Jed Mishu. He is on the board. Great stuff. Great round. I hate also, this part of the job. we didn't even talk about Chucky Olives, and now he's trying to be like this magnanimous... Well, if Dustin wants to fight Nate, that I totally understand. Screw that, Oliver. You need to be on on your soapbox and just calling for the man's head right now. Be interesting, fighters. Be interesting. Yeah, don't. let's not let's not forget Charlie. Let's not forget old Charlie Olives was also magnanimous towards Connor after after everything that happened. So this is that's just it's weird. Like you would think he would be more outspoken, but yeah, that's just not who he is. He certainly isn't. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombe makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But let us head to Bellator. Let's head to their middleweight champion, Gegard Mousasi, who defended his title successfully this past Friday. He put away John Salter, a very tough out at 185 pounds with that incredible wrestling game that he brings to the table. But Gegard did exactly what he told me he was going to do, and he is still the champion after the win this past Friday. So, Jed Bashu, I will begin with you. Where would you rank right now Gegard Mousasi at 185? Can you make the argument that Gegard Mousasi is the best middleweight in the world right now? Not if you're a rational human being. Um, I mean, you can always make arguments. I can, you know me, like I make some <laughs> bad arguments. Like I can absolutely just yell with the best of them, <laughs> but it's not realistic by any definition of that word. Like to, to paraphrase Daniel Cormier after he beat Anthony Rumble Johnson for the second time, and Jimmy Manuel is outside the cage calling for a title fight. And Cormier looks at him and goes, I like Corey Anderson, but you just beat Corey Anderson. Sit down. <laughs> that That's what this is. I, I like John Salter. He's a solid enough middleweight. But you beat John Salter. You're not the best middleweight in the world. Like, that's that's just how that works. Like, John Salter is, like I say, he's a tough dude. Uh, he's got a lot of wins, but he doesn't have a lot of wins. You'd call good. Like who, who is his best win? Legitimately. Who is the best win on John Salter's resume? Chidi and Jokwani? Costello Von Stinas? Like, it's just, yeah, there's just, yeah. Okay. Costello Von That's, that's a good win. That's just not like, there's just not a lot going on there. Like he's a, he, like I said, he's a good fighter. Uh, 
in a lot of respects or whatever. And I'm sure if he fought better competition, he could still put together some results. But the two best fighters he's faced, he lost to fairly handily in Gegard Mousasi and Rafael Lovato Jr. And that's just sort of the lay of the land for, for Bellator in general and certainly for their middleweight division. I think Gegard Mousasi is one of, one of, if not the most talented middleweights in the world. And I think he is arguably the most interesting style matchup for Israel Adesanya. But I I don't think he'd beat him. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I could be wrong. I don't think he'd beat him, though. And uh, I think currently, because you started by asking where I rank him, uh, I think because I am on the MMA fighting rankings panel, and I think I currently have Musasi ranked fifth. Um, so you know, behind essentially the top guys in the UFC, like, and and I I stand by that. I would favor Adesanya uh, over him. Robert Whitaker, same thing. Uh, you know, Paulo Costa. Uh, yeah, and I think I have Vittori over him. Maybe it's the other way around, but like those are no, because I still have Romero. That's why, because Romero is actually the best middleweight in the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I think he's he's Marvin Vittori. He's just better at being Marvin Vittori than Marvin Vittori is, right? Like honestly, if you watch that fight, Gegard against Salter, Gegard did a lot of not effective stuff until he was very effective, and I, I think he's on the downside. All these other things. So if you want to make the argument, sure, he is the most accomplished middleweight probably that's still active given all of he's done his career. But I think he gets beat by several dudes at the top at the UFC and there's no shame in that. He's been fighting for 50 years. <laughs> what do you think, Damon? Where is gay guard in that best middleweight in the world conversation right now? Well, I think what's hurting gay guard is something Jed brought up, which is lack of competition in Bellator. I think if Rafael Lovato jr, you know, sadly his health issues knocked him out. I think if they could have done a rematch, you know, the first fight was very close. Uh, obviously, Lovato got the win. I think if he had come back and Gegard had avenged his loss and maybe finished him, that would have you know, given him a little bit more shine just because that was uh, an undefeated guy and a guy who had some hype around him because of who Lovato was in the, in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world as well. Uh, him basically being forced into retirement and Gegard kind of falling back into the title with a kind of a barren wasteland and middleweight in Bellator. I mean, listen, I, I have, you know, I have nothing against John Salter. He's a, a solid middleweight, but I think he's a middle of the pack middleweight. He's not a top tier elite head, a middleweight. And, you know, Austin Vanderford's up next. I like Austin's 11 and 0 good fighter, uh, you know, I, but you know, his most wins are at welterweight and who are his biggest wins against? Uh, so what is, what is gay guard going to gain by beating Austin Vanderford? Now, with that being said, I would personally rank gay guard Musasi at number three in the world behind Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. And, uh, for a couple of reasons, one, obviously I think both of those fighters would beat gay guard Musasi at this point. Uh, also in terms of accomplishments, they've done far more in recent years than he has while he's kind of toiling away in Bellator and listen, good for him. He's making a boatload of money and he's happy there. You know, good for him. I, I don't think rankings really matter when it comes to your paycheck as long as you're getting paid good for you that being said uh i i, I look at below that you know you look at paulo costa when you look at his record it's not exactly the most impressive resume in the world either when you really start digging down I mean, you look at that joel romero fights the one he has on there outside of that it's not like he's got this long list of dominant wins he beats uh, the best middleweight in the world that's that's very <laughs> impressive even though it was a garbage win he technically defeated the best middleweight in the world. And then Marvin Vittori, I think Marvin's a super tough guy, but again, you know, you look at his resume, yeah, he beat Kevin Holland, great. Uh, you know, is Kevin Holland an elite middleweight? No. 
Uh, uh, you know, Marvin, solid middleweight. But if Marvin fought Gegard tomorrow, uh, I think that's very much a toss-up, and I would favor Musasi to win that fight uh, just because, again, Marvin's game planning would come into question just like he did against Adesanya. So uh, I think Musasi's number three, but I don't think he beats the top two guys in the UFC, and, uh, and I, don't think anyone, I don't think anyone rationally would argue with me about that. Uh, his accomplishments have put him in that position, and I think he beats a lot of the good guys in the UFC still. Sadly, though, we're just never going to see that. He's going to retire in Bellator. He's going to fight Austin Vanderford, and then maybe maybe he becomes a two-division champion if he fights the light heavyweight champion, depending on who ends up coming out of that Grand Prix. Uh, maybe that happens. I could see Gegard pulling that off. I mean, I don't think beating Ryan Bader or or potentially even a, a, a Rumble Johnson fight, as crazy as that sounds, I don't think beating Rumble Johnson is out of the realm of possibilities for Gegard Mousasi. Uh, this is a man who beat Mark Hunt in the open weight Super Hulk Grand Prix once upon a time. So yeah, he could do that, but I think I think number three is as high as Musasi's gonna get uh as long as Whitaker and Adesanya are duking it out for the title in the UFC. Here's the thing about Musasi, Mike, right? Like sure everyone views him with rose colored glasses. That's my thing about Musasi because he is so talented and he has had some really high points in his career that like Yes, on any given day, he could theoretically go beat Israel Adesanya. Like that is a that is a realistic possibility. That's not just total fabrication. He could also lose to Uriah Hall. You know, like he 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 was not far removed from edging out a win over washed Lyoto Machida. Like that's just he he has a wide range. He has a very high ceiling, and his floor is very low as well. And it just it everyone likes to view because he has been around so long and he is a generally beloved figure. You like to view the top parts and you don't really think about the fact that like, yeah, he's also his best wins recently have been over welterweights like he beat Douglas Lima and Rory McDonald. Like those are his good wins lately. It's just uh, he's just he's really difficult to quantify. Well, I, I think I think you get to that argument too when you look at like I said that's what I said with the UFC's guys like you look at you know, the, like you get you know Jerry Cannonier solid oh, yeah. guy you know you look at Paulo Costa again I, you know, I obviously the, the Romero win is the is the one you know kind of sterling on his record but you look below that you're like Ew. like you know, like I don't know if I I don't know if I'd be calling out Costa's record beyond that Romero win like yeah you, know, you look at his record it's it's not great I mean yes he does have a win over Uriah Hall but. You look below that. It's not like he had this long, you know, ten-fight win streak with all knockouts in the UFC. So when you really start digging into resume, it's not like the UFC guys below the top two have a lot to like. Man, I'm really right there. Uh, and I think Musasi can at least argue to be at, at, at in that top three again. You're not going to make an argument that he's gonna that he's above Whitaker or Adesanya. It's just ridiculous to even mention that. Austin Vanderford looks to be next for Musasi. I know Gegard, for a fact, wants that fight ASAP. Not sure if that's possible or not. He has been a little bit frazzled and frustrated with his lack of activity, but uh, we'll see what happens, man. He wants to get in there. And he t- he told me he was he was guaranteed, if he is still a middleweight champion, to fight the winner of the light heavyweight Grand Prix. So we'll see what happens there. Legitimately, Bellator's middleweight division is probably worse than the WEC's old middleweight division. Like, <laughs> which I the like four people listening to this probably even remember the WEC's middleweight division. But don't you don't you dare disparage the name Apollo Felix. I was just gonna say that. Exactly. Dude, Apollo Felix, freaking Chael Sonnen, 
Brian Stan, the greatest mixed martial arts commentator of all time. Uh, who's the dude? Uh, uh, Doug Marshall. Doug I Marshall. know. Kill dead or knock dead, whatever the hell. He, like that middleweight division. Austin Vanderford is like unquestionably getting a title shot. Who's he beaten? He's several not interesting decision wins over like Vinicius to Jesus. Like, come on. <laughs> this division, just shutter the middleweight, man. Let that one go. If your division is not as good as old WEC's middleweight division, you need to move on. Hey, don't disparage the, the great name of Vinicius de Jesus. Come on now. He's a New England staple, my friend. CES champ, all that stuff. But be that as it may, the other big story to come out of Friday, this past Friday, was over in the PFL. Main event was a fight that a lot of people had hoped would happen when Rory McDonald signed with the promotion. Takes on Ray Cooper the third, and this was as one-way traffic as it gets from Ray Cooper. He dominates Rory McDonald for pretty much the entirety of the fight. And there's a lot of talk, Damon, about the decline of Rory McDonald. He's not the same guy, and maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe he has had a big decline. But maybe it's that Ray Cooper is just not getting the love he deserves. Maybe he's like Triple H, Damon. He's just that damn good, but nobody's giving him that shine. What... Like, if you're the pendulum, where does it swing? More on the Ray Cooper is way better than people give him credit for side, or Rory McDonald is just a shell of himself? Well, I'm trying to live in the there's no gray area here because uh, I don't want to get in that conversation. But if, I, if I'm leaning one way or the other, I lean more towards Ray Cooper is underrated. I think he is a very solid welterweight competitor. He's got huge knockout power, and he's got very underrated wrestling yeah, he told me before the fight, Rory McDonald will not out-wrestle me, and Rory 100% was going to try to out-wrestle him in that fight, and it didn't work out too well for Rory McDonald. That being said, something that Jed said about Gegard Mousasi is absolutely 100% true about Rory McDonald as well. The highest of highs for Rory McDonald, when he's at his absolute best, when he's out there leg-kicking, uh, you know, when he's out there having that first performance against Douglas Lima, when he's out there having you know some of his best performances, when he just goes out there and dismantles you know, certain guys, uh, you're thinking, man, Roy McDonald is the best welterweight in the sport. He really, he really could be that guy. Uh, he goes out there and you know, I, again, Curtis Melinder's not setting the bar very high, but he goes out there and dismantles Curtis Melinder inside of a round. You're like, wow, Rory's back. And then he goes out and he has a win over Gleason Tebow. It wasn't a loss. That was one of the most garbage decisions ever, but it also wasn't the most exciting fight in the world. It wasn't like Rory went out there and put it on him. He basically just counterstruck him the entire fight and landed more punches, landed better punches, and won the fight, even though that's a garbage loss on his record. But then he comes out there and he just has no plan B. I mean, he, does, he literally has no plan B against Ray Cooper. He gets taken down, and that's where he stays for 15 straight minutes. So I think the ceiling on Rory has been very high, and the, and the basement is extremely low with him. Like when he showed up, or when he failed to show up against Gigard Masasi, like he might as well have just been a punching bag in that fight. He just didn't show up. Uh, and so that's a problem. That being said, I would like to put some respect on Ray Cooper's name because the guy is a horse. He goes out there, and, and he knocks people out. He's got great wrestling, huge power. I mean, remember, remember what he did to Jake Shields when everyone thought Jake Shields was still something, and he was going to come in there and actually do something in that first season of PFL, and Ray knocked him out twice inside of six months. So Ray's legit. I think Ray's legit, and I hate the fact that his win is somehow going to be diminished just because everyone's going to say Roy's lost a step. Maybe Roy's lost a little bit of a step. Maybe beating him isn't what it once was, but I still think Ray Cooper is – I did still think the pendulum swings more towards Ray Cooper deserves a little bit more respect than what he's getting for going out there and just thoroughly dominating Roy McDonald for 15 straight minutes. 
Where do, where do you sit on this, Mr. No Gray Area? Are you more on the side of Ray Cooper III being really, really good and just not getting enough credit for being really, really good, or Rory McDonald just being not very good anymore? Look, I'm not going to lie to you, Mike, uh, because I don't lie to people, and certainly not to my, my adoring fans. I didn't watch this because I have things to do. I'm not going to watch the PFL. Like that's, I, I value my time. And so, yeah, uh, I, I didn't see Ray Cooper absolutely demolish Rory McDonald because I would not spend my free time so frivolously. Uh, but obviously, there's no gray area. And in the world where gray area doesn't exist, Rory McDonald is washed. He'd been washed for a hot minute. Ray Cooper may be good. I've never seen the man fight, so I can't say whether he's good or not. It's, I guess it's possible, though it seems unlikely. Uh, but Roy McDonald has not been good for a very long time. He beat Curtis Melinder, which, sure, that is that's a thing. He did it. Good for him. Uh, he, I, I again didn't watch it because I have things to do. But I heard that he should have beaten Gleason Tebow, uh, but he lost to him, and that's not great. And before that, the last time I watched him fight, he lost to Douglas Lima, who is a really good fighter and so there's really no shame in losing to douglas lima but even the run before that man like when we were talking about rory maybe being washed when he left the ufc like seven years ago and he put together some wins he won the welterweight championship over in bellator and even competed for the middleweight one but that's not really he didn't do that because man he's just so great we got to give him a, a middleweight title shot we just saw we just Oh, we just talked about how bad the middleweight division is. They gave him a shot against Gegard because, like, I don't know, there's not anything else to do for middleweight. But, like, he beat Paul Daly, which, sure, and he beat Douglas Lima, which is a good win, but he arguably shouldn't have won that fight. Like, that fight was a lot closer than people remember it. Uh, Rory did a lot of taking him down and not nearly as effective, and then when they rematched, that, that didn't happen. I think he's just been washed for a hot minute and he still like can fight. So he doesn't just go out and get rolled over, but yeah, he's just, he's not what his name is certainly anymore and nobody should expect that. So yeah, I'm siding firmly on the uh, Roy's washed camp. Well, and here's where I'll argue against that with Roy a little bit, a little bit because Roy had those kind of weird like performances in the UFC too. Like, I was at his fight when he fought Tyron Woodley, when Tyron Woodley was literally standing against the cage for 15 minutes, not throwing punches. Just standing there. He just stand, literally just leaning against the cage I don't waiting. You. That's not something <laughs> Tyron Woodley does. He's never done that. <laughs> and, and McDonald, McDonald, I mean, McDonald won the fight. It was a lopsided decision, but he, he had so many opportunities to tee off on Tyron Woodley just standing against the cage, and he never took it. And it was so utterly frustrating that he could have easily, you should he should have easily put that fight away and 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 won that fight in dominant you know knockout fashion and he didn't do it it's just like what are you doing man like pull the trigger so while i agree he's not the roy mcdonald that went in there and had a you know arguably one of the best fights of all time against robbie lawler uh, i don't think he's done uh but i don't i don't think he's i don't think he's top tier anymore but i don't think there's anything wrong saying he's maybe on the edge of the top 15 and i still think getting a win over him matters well, that was this past weekend in the world of MMA. There's a lot more MMA this weekend as well, and that's where we're heading next. The point for round two goes to... 
the man who actually watched the PFL, Damon Martin, has tied things up. <laughs> I knew that knew they'd come back to bite. I appreciate the honesty, though, Jed. It was a great second round. So, gentlemen, let's talk about the UFC. They are back after a very brief hiatus. UFC Vegas 34 goes down on Saturday. We're going to talk about the main event in a minute, but Damon, we're going to begin with you. Did the UFC and this card they've put together was a week enough for you, for the absence to grow for your heart for the absence to make your heart grow fonder? Did you miss them at all? Uh, I didn't really miss them at all, and I kind of wish they had pushed this card back another week and just combined it with another card because. Listen, I I hate listen, I hate when people say don't say something bad about a card before it actually happens. Yes, you could say something bad about a card before it actually happens because stakes matter. Yes, I think there's some fights on this card coming up this weekend that could be fun. There's some there's some fun fights, sure. But there's zero stakes. None. Zero literally there's no stakes in this card. None. Zero. Nothing happens depending on winning. Jared Cannonier wins, okay, great. He's still not a title contender right now, and he's still probably not gonna be near that with two more wins. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum wins. Great. He just lost whatever it was like three in a row before that. Uh, there's zero stakes in this card. I mean, the co-main event is Mark Madsen, Mark O. Madsen. Let me, let me throw in the O who is a solid silver medalist, Greco Roman wrestler. Good prospect. He's fighting Clay Guida. I like Clay. Clay's a legend. I love Clay. Clay's not Clay Guida of 10 years ago. This is the weirdest co-main event. <laughs> weirdest matchmaking I can remember in recent memory. Why they're giving Clay Guida to Marco Madsen. I saw the matchmaking. I was like, what? Why is this happening? Uh, it you is know, it, something even more fun about that matchup? Get guess the odds on it, Damon. Guess what the guess the odds. Is it like minus seven hundred for Marco Madsen? <laughs> no, he's astonishingly only like a minus one seventy. <laughs> Put all of your money on that fight because I cannot figure out how he is not a minus 500 favorite. It is blowing my mind. All right, I'm going to drop off here real quick. I need to go sell some stuff to place a bet. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but like that's the weird, like again, and when you say these kind of things, there's going to be people who are going to say, well, don't say that kind of stuff before you see the card. Yes, you can. It's just like this last pay per view. I like Cyril Gaon and Derek Lewis. It was a fine fight. But the stakes were ridiculous. There shouldn't have been an interim title on the line. It was a it was a horrible, horrible idea to do that. Uh, and and the rest of the card was okay. It was a good fight night card. Michael Chiesa, Vicente Luque was solid. Obviously, Jose Aldo being Jose Aldo, always like watching that guy go out and do legendary things. But again, it's not a great. You're asking people to pay seventy dollars for that card. It was not a seventy dollar card. Same thing right here. This is literally the UFC throwing anything at the wall and saying, let's see how many people will just tune in because they hear the UFC is on. Saturday night. This is not good. Uh, and this is this is just a bad card all the way around. Anyone that tries to justify it otherwise is lying to you. You cannot justify and try to argue with me that this is somehow a good card. Uh, and so missing them for a week? No, I sure didn't. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to Giga Chikadze and Edson Barbosa. That's next weekend. That's a fun fight. I'm looking forward to that. Literally nothing I'm looking forward to this weekend. What do you think, Jed? You're, you're a positive fella. What do you think? Are you hankering for this for this Apex card after a week off? Dude, they needed to take like a year off for me to be <laughs> excited about this piece of trash. This is, look, there are so many angles to attack for how bad this card is that it feels, honestly, this feels like playing basketball against like a, a six-year-old. Like it's too easy, but I'm going a, I'm to a dunk it on him anyway. Like 
Want to guess how many people on this card have Wikipedia pages? <laughs> Here's a hint. It's literally half. Only 50% of this card has a Wikipedia page. And that's because somehow Roosevelt Roberts has a wiki, and he shouldn't have a wiki. There's no world in which that man should have a Wikipedia page. So, like, it is. this card is just garbage. There is The main event is a fun fight. And... I do. I I totally echo Damon. I have no idea how Marco Mass and Clay Guida is the co-main event because like there's one good fight this weekend, and I'm gonna spend it now because I'm not gonna use this for my low-key banger of the week, even though it's obviously the best fight of the weekend by a country mile. Alexander Pantoja, Brandon Royval, like that fight is awesome. That fight matters, and that fight is somehow just buried on the main card. It's two top five flyweights. Like, how that isn't the co-main event absolutely astonishes me. So the UFC clearly doesn't give a shit about this card because they just they, – they chalked this up as a loss months ago when Costa fell out. There's like, ah, oh, whatever, we're done. We don't care about this one anymore. Clay Guida, sure, go fight an Olympian. Uh, uh, Trevin Jones, here, we're going to pull this dude for, uh, in two days' notice to fight you. Just whatever we don't. We're just getting paid, man. Collecting them checks is what this card should be called. That's fine. They're gonna be two and a half good fights. I scored this fight a fifty out of a hundred. Like this whole card is a fifty out of a hundred because there are two actual good fights on it. And sure, Mark Madsen, I'm down to watch an Olympian kind of keep climbing that ladder. I'm really excited to watch him make me some money because again. I do not understand how he is a minus 170 favorite over washed-ass Clay Guida. I genuinely was, I was like, I bet he's going to be a minus 800. No, What? What is happening right now? So it's fun for that because I get to pay off my rent this month. This is this this card should be called UFC Fight Night Contractual Obligations because this is the <laughs> definition of the UFC putting on a card because they need to present so many shows each year to ESPN Plus. This is literally UFC Fight Night Contractual Obligations. Jed, why why didn't you just use five out of ten and you and, and why did you go with fifty out of a hundred? No, because I've decided when when I saw this question, I was like, I need to come up with a better system of scoring because I feel like I rely too heavily. I'm just like, this is an F. This is an F minus. <laughs> so I was like, let's try and get a little more scientific. So I decided that since uh, every card is like 15 fights, uh, but every card has at least four fights that are awful, uh, I'm just going to do – I'm going to give each fight can earn up to 10 points for the card overall. And you just only count the top 10 fights and the bottom X amount you throw off. If a fight card randomly decides it wants to be eight, it's automatically an A plus because an eight fight card is magic. Uh, and then as I went down, I was like, okay, the main event, that's, that's a 10. I'm, I want to watch that fight happen. And Pantoja Royval, that's a 10. That's 20 points. The rest of it, I, I, I was generous and got 30 more points combines like mark madsen that's worth like six points on his own and uh brandon uh uh or brian kelleher and that dude he's fighting who has lost like every time we've seen him in the ufc but somehow won and got a no contest uh domingo pilarte like that's probably gonna be fun because kelleher is really fun and pilarte loses in spectacular fashion so uh like that's that got some points there but like the rest william knight fabio charant uh, that fight's going to be awful, but both of those two dudes look like action figures, so I gave them a couple of points in there as well. You know, like I wanted it to not just be an F, but the most generous score I could come up with was 50. 
All right, fair enough. So, Jed, real quick, can you find any stakes in this main event? Like, it's a fun fight. You kind of just want to see what's going to happen. But, like, is there anything on the line, win or lose, for either of these guys? Dude, there's so much on the line. Nobody recognizes this. It's my, my favorite thing in the whole MMA world, I think, is maybe it's maybe second behind the Darren Till's ability to fail upwards spectacularly. But Kelvin Gastelum being treated as like a real fighter is spec is awesome because he <laughs> arguably has zero good wins. He's a good fighter. I'm not saying he's not a good fighter, but his resume, he has fought some of the best names in the sport and he has lost to every good fighter he's fought like it hit all of them his best win is ian heinish like that's legitimately i think that's his best win he has a win over jacare souza and michael bisping those are bigger names both those dudes were old and washed so those wins aren't like that exciting but like look i pull up his resume to look at it his wins are ian heinish his last one that's not a great fight, but Ahinish is at least a respectable middleweight. Then he's got Shakare. That's not much of a win these days. Bisping, that wasn't much of a win these days either. Tim Kennedy, same thing. Another old dude he fought. Fat Johnny Hendricks, okay. Like Nate Marquardt, he just hasn't fought any or beaten. He's fought a lot of good guys. He just hasn't beaten anybody. If he beats uh, – um, Jared Cannonier, that I think is by far his best win. And Cannonier actually also has a little bit of the same thing. His resume, not spectacular if you're really looking at it. But I think Cannonier is just the best win in Gaston's career by a long shot. And, like, it will prove something to me if nobody else. Like, oh, Gaston is more than just being good against fighters he loses because that's where he's impressed. The Israel Adesanya fight where he lost, but he looked impressive. Like, he, he can actually win fights that matter against actual substantive middleweights. Uh, and for Cannoneer, I think Cannoneer, yeah, he lost to Whitaker. I think a win gets him a title title fight, honestly. Like, Odyssey doesn't have anybody else to fight. And he was kind of looking at a fight with Cannoneer. Then Whitaker beat him. If he beats, if he gets the win here, he might, like, it might just be Cannoneer's time because he'll be whatever third or, I think, third ranked in the UFC right now. And, yeah, I think... I think he, I think a win for Kennedy could very well get him the next title shot. Damon, I know there's no stakes throughout this entire card, but there's a question that came in late for me and AK's Ask Us Anything onto the next one show, and we didn't get a chance to answer it. So I'll ask you if Jared Kennedy just blows the doors off of Kelvin Gaslam and just starches him, this fight is not close at all until it, 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 until it ends. Could we be seeing the last time Kelvin Gaslam fights in the UFC, or does he still have some some of that Tom Conklin or Tom Coughlin New York Giants flow going? That you know his name is still somewhat relevant. We could still use him for some things, but I mean he's 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 on a pretty rough schneid right now outside of the the Ian Heinish win. Well, and that's the thing, kind of what Jed was talking about with with his resume. He loses, but. He typically doesn't he doesn't lose in a way that you're like, I can't stand to watch this guy fight anymore because he's getting blown out of the water, he's getting knocked out, he's getting demolished. You know, he got caught in a in a submission by Jack Hermanson, which was kind of a surprising finish to that fight. And Jack Hermanson is kind of that, you know, top six guy who'll probably never be champion, he'll never be a top three guy, but he's a pretty good you know, he's a pretty decent middleweight. Uh, he caught him there. Okay, that was his one finish there. He went five rounds with Robert Whitaker. Was it one-way traffic? Sure. But did he get blown out of the water? No. 
Uh, did he have a, a potential fight of the year against Israel Adesanya? Yes, he did. That was a great fight. Didn't win it, but it was a great fight. Kelvin Gastelum isn't going anywhere. He could get the doors blown off him in two seconds in this fight. He could be the fastest snake. It somehow beat Ben Askren getting plastered by Jorge Masvidal's knee. It could somehow be a four-second knockout. And Kelvin Gastelum's coming back because Kelvin Gastelum's still young, young enough. Uh, he's still a relevant enough name. And there's always, and I know people are going to lose their minds when I say this, there's always a prospect that he'll say, you know what? I'm going to call up the UFC PI. I'm going to work for the next six months, and I'm going to go back to welterweight. Because you and I both know that always comes up with Kelvin Gastelum. He always talks about going back to welterweight. Uh, so, no, he's not going anywhere with a loss. Uh, I do disagree with Jed on Jared Cannonier getting a title shot, and here's why. Because you kind of you, you messed yourself up there, Jed. You said it already. Darren Till loves to fell upwards. Darren Till could squeak out the most controversial split decision in the history of the sport and beat Derek Brunson, and he will suddenly become the number one contender in that division. He will fight for the title. Actually, he might leapfrog Robert Whitaker and get the title shot against Israel Adesanya because that's what Darren Till does. Darren Till doesn't fight, uh, barely wins, and yet somehow becomes the number one guy in the sport. So he may go out there and win the – I mean, he could win like a Michael Bisping versus uh, a, a Matt Hamill kind of dis- – decision where people are losing their minds saying he lost the fight but he'll still end up getting a tie and like i said i would if i'm robert whitaker i'd be scared because if darren till goes out there and wins he might get leapfrog he might just jump in the title shot and robert whitaker's gonna have to wait like that's what darren till does so jared yeah. kennedy could go out there and blow the brakes off of kelvin gaslam he still ain't getting a title shot as long as darren till exists in this world jared kennedy's not getting his title shot next look darren till might not win per se but he cuts a hell of a promo. Just go watch Monday's MMA Hour because that man, that man can cut a promo if nothing else. Yeah, that was Darren, some Darren, some interview. Darren, I'm gonna add Darren Till into that Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, BJ Penn list where it just keeps getting big fights for some unknown reason we're not quite sure about. See, I feel like that's <laughs> Kelvin Gaslam though. Like he keeps losing in a way that you can believe that he's better than he is. Like it's textbook Nate Diaz. But at least Kelvin, Kelvin kind of falls into it, though, because this was supposed to be Cannoneer and Costa. Costa doesn't sign for the fight, so Kelvin's like, hey, I'm here. You know, same thing with the Whitaker fight. He wasn't supposed to fight Robert Whitaker, but he's like, hey, guys, I'm out here. And so that's what Kelvin – Kelvin Gaston just kind of falls into it. Darren Till gets selected for these things. Darren Till – I mean, Adesanya was talking about him on the MMA Hour about how I'm going to fight Darren Till. Why? What, what has Darren Till done – to earn his he has one win over Kelvin Gaslam in a really bad fight, and his next fight he, he lost. He shouldn't have won that fight either. <laughs> so, I don't get it. He's one and one at middleweight, and I don't I don't understand. I don't have anything against Darren Till. I'm just saying, like I don't I understand. Do. I don't understand I why everyone is banging the drum saying he's oh my god, I gotta see it. Why do we have to see a fight out? What proof is there in the world that him and Adesanya would be a good fight? I mean. He he lost to Stephen Thompson, so why why wouldn't he beat a much better kickboxer than Stephen Thompson? <laughs> uh, so listen, this card is fine. There's some good fights, as both of these gentlemen alluded to. It's uh, it certainly hasn't taken the beating that next weekend's card has. My word, Mike is is are we video or just audio this week? We're just audio, but you I, you, I you come through. Case. We could see you through audio i know you can see me listeners i'm i'm begging you 
do anything else with your Saturday. You can you can just click on MMAfighting.com. We're going to have the play-by-play at the top. I'm probably going to be stuck doing play-by-play for this damn card. We're going to have recap. We're going to have all the – any highlights that are interesting, they're going to be on the site. And you can, you can download it all into your brain and have it at the expense of like 10 minutes of your time and a few clicks on our website. And you can have a whole Saturday night to be with your family, be with your friends – uh, write a book, it, sing a song, do anything else other than spend your time watching the card, please. Write a book. Write a book. Write the next great American novel. Like, do that. <laughs> like, read poetry, paint, play with Legos. Anything is available. Step on Legos. Step on. Oh no, that's the worst. Nice. That is the worst. Um, I, I will say I will probably not be watching this card on Saturday because I will be on vacation. Life is about to take a very interesting turn, uh, but I'm going to enjoy a few days on the Cape with the fam and uh, get away from MMA for a couple of days. But we will, I'm sure we'll react to everything with AK on on to the next one, but we'll move ahead to digging a little deeper for this final round of regulation. The point for round three goes to... Mr. Contractual Obligation himself, Damon Martin. Good stuff. It is two to one. Despite Jed's plea to do anything else but watch the UFC on Saturday. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Michael Cohen, Trump's former attorney, fixer, and friend, testified this week in Manhattan. Todd Blanche is upset because he knows that he looks like a fool right now representing Donald Trump. It is the stupidest opening to a cross-examination I have ever heard, and I have heard a lot of stupid stuff. I'm Preet Bharara, and this week, Katie Fang, host of MSNBC's The Katie Fang Show, joins me on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, to talk about the latest court news from Trump's trial. The episode is out now. Search and follow Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so the last topic we'll hit before, I mean, we already know where this is going, but the UFC is not the only game in town, gentlemen. The PFL is back on Thursday. May have already happened by the time our great listeners hear this. Kayla Harrison versus Jenna Fabian, the main event for that card. Bellator 265 on Friday, headlined by Czech Congo versus Sergey Karatanov. Excuse me. That card, good lord, took a massive hit today with J.J. Wilson missing weight by 4.4 pounds for a number one contenders fight against Adam Borch. That is just so wild. So now we have three cards this weekend, Jed Mishu, as your face is buried into the palm of your palms of your hands. But we need our low-key banger for the 72-hour stretch. What is it? Mike, I'm so upset because I did not know that the J.J. Wilson-Adam Borch fight was off until literally that this moment when you just told me 
uh, and that was that was gonna be my low key banger because <laughs> no one was talking about it. And that fight's actually awesome. Like that fight was really great. So there is look the UFC card's bad. This Bellator card is soft. Without that, uh, you know me, Mike. I ha- I have a tried and true game plan when it comes to low key bangers. You pick the two heaviest dudes, and you say, that's going to be fun. And I can't even say that about Bellator's main event because Czech Congo is the antithesis of fun. That man doesn't know how to be entertaining at all. He he is first team walking off the bus, last team in cage performance. Like, you don't want to watch this dude fight ever. So there's no Loki banger from Bellator. Like nothing there is. Uh, maybe you could talk me into the Fabio Aguiar Taylor Johnson fight. Ah, that's just awful. So I have to go then I got, I already talked about it and I didn't want to do it again, but it's easily the best fight of the weekend. Like I think far over the UFC main event, anything Bellator is doing. Sure. PFL. Uh, I guess they exist again. I don't watch that because I value my time. Uh, <laughs> but Alessandro Pantoja, Brandon Royval, that's that fight's awesome. Like that fight, Pantoja is. I'm really excited to see if Pantoja is uh, still has stuff in the tank because yeah, he's only 31 years old, man. But this dude's been fighting for like 18 years. Like I, I actually think legitimately he's been fighting 17 years. He started when he was like 15 or whatever. Um, and that's a long time. Like we all gave so much praise to Jose Aldo for still being, you know, even maybe still being around where he was and he's been fighting for 17 years. Pantoja is doing the same thing at a lighter weight class. And that's so hard to do. Like fighters age really poorly, the lower in weight you go, basically. Like you can just see that trend across at heavyweight. You can be competent into your almost fifties. But, like, the lower you get in weight class, the more difficult it is. And at 125, Pantoja, 17 years into the game, he's still, I mean, coming off a, a big win over Menel Cop. Like, that's that's a big win. This dude is, uh, I don't have the UFC's rankings or our rankings in front of him, but I know that Pantoja's, you know, top five. Uh, and Hoival should also be a top five-ish because he's, uh, if he's not, then that's really weird because he's coming off a, a – essentially a title eliminator bout like uh both these dudes are really exciting uh 125 is usually a good watch unless it's Askar Askarov. uh then go go take a smoke you're you're good for the next 15 uh but yeah this fight's going to be all action and maybe the winner probably doesn't if Pantoja wins he might well get a title shot um even though he did just lose to Askar Askarov not that long ago I don't think anyone's rushing to get Askarov into a <laughs> into a title shot frankly and pantoja uh does have a win over current champion brandon moreno but i'm just excited to see it like of if i could only watch one fight this weekend it would easily be this one uh both because i do think the stakes matter two top five-ish guys going against each other and i think just the in cage product is is going to be fun like Royval is i mean that dude dude might be great or he might suck like i i still don't really have a great vibe for him but we're going to find out this weekend. So, yeah, that's my banger for sure. Damon, what's yours? Low-key banger for this next 72-hour stretch. So, Jed threw a curveball here because I, I came into this preparing that he was going to pick Pantoja and Roy Vall, 
And so I picked a different one, a complete way down the card one, just because I wanted to come up with something different. Then he pulled the U-turn and he said he was going to go with J.J. Wilson, which I would have absolutely agreed and said that Pantoja versus Pantoja versus Roy Vall is the best fight of the weekend. Let's be That's honest. Like, I didn't want to pick it because it's so easy, but yeah, then like, the J.J. Wilson fight fell apart apparently. Yeah, it's, the, it's the real main event. It's the fight I'm most excited about this weekend. Brandon Roy Vall is, is, I'm not kidding, one of the top ten most exciting fighters in the UFC, when that guy fights, you know something weird and exciting is going to happen, okay? He is that good and that much fun to watch. Uh, I don't care who he's fighting. I will watch Brandon Roy Vall. And I agree, Pantoja is an incredibly fun guy to watch in his own right. He's a very good flyweight and, and obviously a guy who can absolutely win this fight. Uh, so that's the fight of the weekend. That is absolutely the fight of the weekend. I just I, I removed it because when, when Mike says low-key banger, I think a fight that's completely slipping under the radar. That one's not slipping under the radar because, to me, that's the only fight worth watching this weekend. That being said, I picked one completely out of left field, so I'm going with this one, even though I know Jed will never watch it. I'm going to go with Heenan Ferreira against Stuart Austin in PFL. <laughs> follow, me when I, follow me when I say this. Heenan Ferreira, of course, is the guy who won and lost to Fabricio Verdum in the same fight. Uh, he got triangled and then knocked him out. You you only get to do that so many times in your career. He came back, did get a win, didn't get in the playoffs because of the weird PFL point system. And this weekend he's taking on Stuart Austin, a guy who loves to fight, win, or lose in spectacular fashion. He has a win over Tom Aspinall. He has a win over Tom Aspinall, current top 15 ranked heavyweight in the world. He goes out there and he has he, he wins in spectacular fashion or he loses spectacularly. The guy rarely does not have an exciting finish in there. I mean, he has a knockout loss to Johnny Walker. He fought Shotoshi Ishii in his last fight. That guy is, is you know, human wallpaper in terms of watching him fight. Ishii has not had an exciting fight since ever. Um, so, you know, he went to decision with him, but he did win. But, yeah, he, if you look at his record, it's littered with wins and losses, but it's littered with wins and losses by TKO, knockout, submission, some crazy wild thing happening. And like I said, he actually has a win over a legit guy in Tom Aspinall. It was six years ago. But it was still a legit one over a top guy. So that's my low-key banger fight that no one's probably going to see. It's the featured prelim on the PFL card, which means Jed is really not going to watch this fight. Uh, but that's the one I picked. I was like, you know what? That's actually not a bad fight. Ferrer is actually not a bad prospect. He actually isn't. Uh, obviously, the weird thing with Verdum happened. But that's a, he's actually not a bad prospect. And Austin, like I said, is a guy who wins or loses in spectacular fashion. So it's a heavyweight fight. God forbid he goes out of the first round. But assuming it does what heavyweights do, this could be fun for about four minutes. This is a Jed Mishu. That's a Jed Mishu special right there. Oh, I I gave a, a good deal of consideration once you told me that uh, the JJ Wilson fight was down because legitimately <laughs> I I had I was entirely ready to go all in on that fight, uh, and then you're like, oh, that's not happening. I was like, oh well, that's unfortunate. It's like I thought about. I could maybe sell Marcelo Gold, Billy Swanson, <laughs> which is also an awful heavyweight pal. So what like, you're so what you're saying is Billy I saved what you're saying is I saved your game because if I didn't say that you would have went all out on that fight and then I would have to correct you after going all out on that fight oh, yeah, for that it was sure, over because I I did not see that that fight didn't happen. Uh, I would just like to say one more thing. I have given rightfully so the pfl just enormous amounts of shit uh and and damon has also heaped on for my sake that pfl uh and i will give them one one particular thing of props uh if i were going to waste my time this weekend and watch the pfl 
it is at least easy to do so. Whereas if I wanted to waste my time and watch this awful Bellator card, it would be very difficult to make it work because no one has showtime. It's 2021. <laughs> Grow up, Scott Coker. Jeez. <laughs> oh, man. So this is interesting because much like Darren Till did on the MMA Hour, Jed cuts a fiery promo at the end. It takes the round. It's two to two. What a surprise. Nobody saw this coming that we're going to go to the knockout round. You just uh, compared Jed to Darren Till, though. I don't know if he's ready for that. I don't know if he's quite ready for that Darren Till comparison. He said he cuts a good Darren promo. Darren Till's though. ready for that. <laughs> so that means we're going to head to the knockout round. But speaking of surprises, I do have a surprise coming up in a matter of moments who will be sitting in to judge this knockout round. And for those who are new to the program, uh, each participant will have one minute to answer a question. They have no idea what this question is. And when that is done, we'll turn it on over to our special guest judge who will be here at any moment. And he will render the final decision. And I believe he's coming in right now. There he is. <laughs> the well, Prince well, of Positivity. Well. How are you, AK? Not, not today, my best friend. Not today. today. Jeff, <laughs> I haven't been real positive today. <laughs> I just hope this if this if this secret question is about the ultimate fighter, I'm just gonna go and hang up now because I can't tell you anything about that. Trust me, if it is well, not. You. Then you guys know what to say. You guys know what to say if it is, all right? I can tell you so many things about it because I have read AK Lee's wonderful recaps on our oh. top, on our website. Every week oh, oh. he's out there recapping tough so like name this weekend, you don't have to watch it. You can just read. Pop quiz hotshot, name two of the finalists. From the show. Uh, no, because one of them just died or okay. didn't die, but like fell out. So I don't there's, know. Who... There's three left. <laughs> oh, Name... I don't. I, I just... Oh, give My, me. Michael Thanks. Bisping and Ed Herman. That's okay, yes. I, I, no, I, 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 I did not say this. He started beating that ass. His team started dominating. Okay. Um, this is true. Is Urbina a name? That sounds like one Correct. of them. Correct. He, he, he He's in the fight. He replaced Treshawn Gore. Correct. Yeah. Which I'm sure you know. Which I'm sure you know. I sure. <laughs> all right, we could talk about this all day, uh, but Jed, you are the you are the winner. You have the champion's oh, I'm prerogative. Going second, bud. You're definitely going second. All right, hundred percent. All right, I gotta get my. Uh, oh, I got the clock right here. All right, all right, Damon, you get to go first. Sixty seconds. So, on this program, you you may have seen, maybe you haven't. We've talked about. What defines breakout stars? We've given it different definitions, and I want to sort of go back to that topic, but define it in a more specific way because a couple of weeks ago, we had our tag team title match, and the question that was presented in this knockout was who is the breakout fighter of the year in 2021, and arguments were made for guys like Brandon Moreno, even guys like the current welterweight champion Kamar Usman for the year that he has had, but... We're going to talk more on the line of the top two guys from last year. Kevin Holland, Hamzat Shemaev. Shemaev comes out of nowhere, takes the MMA world by storm. Kevin Holland always seemed to have the talent, the gift of gab, but he has a monster year going 5-0. and And both of those stories have obviously certainly changed in 2021. But both of those guys, if you look at it, what breakout is on that end, you could make strong arguments for both those guys last year. So on those lines, Damon, who is the next guy in your opinion that can break out, that can be in that conversation maybe at the end of this year, sometime in 2022, 
that hasn't gotten there quite yet. Who do you have your eye on to take a massive step forward in the eyes of fans or the brass of whatever promotion they are a part of, all right? Breakout fighter you think is next to be on that list that is not there right now. One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. Well, that's not easy, uh, but I'm going to say, and I'm, I'm going to give an answer that's probably not going to be very popular because I'm actually picking a champion, which you're probably thinking, how are you picking a champion as your breakout fighter compared to Chemaev and, and Kevin Holland? But I'm picking a champion, and I'm going to say it's, it's A.J. McKee. I think A.J. McKee is the guy to watch in this next year to really cross over and transcend into superstar status. And the reason I say that, obviously, beyond his undefeated record, and he just blew through Patricia Pitbull inside of two minutes. This guy has everything you want in a fighter. He's about to serve as a commentator next weekend on the Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley fight. Uh, he's in the middle of, you know, obviously being, you know, one of the faces of Bellator, possibly moving up to lightweight where he can actually fight different competition. Not that Bellator's lightweight division is all that deep, but he can. Uh, and obviously, eventually his contract's going to come up. And when that happens, he's going to become a very, very coveted free agent in this sport. And that's where we're going to see if Uncle Dana is going to open up the checkbook and try to bring him over. Uh, to add him to a very good featherweight division in the UFC. So, AJ McKee is the guy. I know it's a weird pick considering he's a champion, but he's also in Bellator, so that also stands for it. All right. There we go. AJ McKee. And it's funny, I was thinking about him today and wondering how Bellator has sort of presented him since he won the title. Like, it's a no-brainer. He's going to be part of the broadcast, but I still feel like he should have been, like, on all the morning talk shows, doing the, the media tour all over the place so more people got to know who he was. But be that as it may. Jed Mishu, same question for you, my friend. Kamar Usman cannot be your answer this time. Brandon Moreno cannot be your answer this time. We're looking, you know, guys who are not quite there yet, but have the potential to get there like Holland, like Shamayev did in 2020. So one minute on the clock, Jed Mishu, your time starts right now. So when I, when I first heard this, I kind of thought Damon's answer as well. And then I realized no, because it's Bellator. No one gives a shit. Uh, we really, really wanted AJ McKee to be a star. We thought this was the big event. And then that sold like, Three people watched it because Bellator is where careers go to die, my friends. At least now they're on Showtime getting a real network, Scott Coker. Uh, so if I can't pick that, I think there are a couple of choices here that I would have my eye on. I want to say Islam Mahachev, but I just don't think he's got that personality the same way Habib did. So I hate to do it. Here, Prohaska. Like, that's it's it's a very Sean Alshadi answer, and I, I hate Sean, so I don't like to do it. But <laughs> Yuri's going to be fighting for a title next year for certain. This dude is dynamite in the cage. He's hilarious outside of the cage. He's super weird, big ponytail, like all sorts of Bushido odd vibes to him. He is going Ten to seconds. be the next sort of Diaz brother esque win or lose people are gonna love this dude and i think he is poised to make an enormous breakout this upcoming year all right ak's got some decisions to make we have one argument for aj mckee the current bellator featherweight champion the grand prix winner and scott coker's eyes the best fighter in the world regardless of weight class and on the other end the fellow ponytailian Yuri Perhashka, the wild man, the top knot, the guy who, sh who is in his next fight should be fighting for the light heavyweight title, the backup fighter for the upcoming title fight between Glover Teixeira and Jan Blachowicz. 
It should be the other way around, AK, but I'm trying to build up some drama. We turn it on over to you, my friend. Who got it done? Is it Jed Mishu, the reigning defending champion, or Damon Martin, the challenger? Those are both uh, outstanding answers, first of all. Congratulations to both of you. That was excellent. Uh, Mike, I, I want to clarify the question. So this is who will be the bigger breakout in the next, like, four months? Or we're saying and then four months and then going into, like, 2022 yeah, like by the end by the end of this year, heading into twenty twenty two, who's mm-hmm. like the next guy? Both again, both cases are really strong. I, I think Damon's was very was very scientific, was very on point. I think mentioning that he is going to be part of that that Woodley uh, Paul broadcast is so huge. Um, it's going to introduce him again to sort of a whole new audience. It's an audience that I wish you know had could see him fight because uh, I'm sure again he's a fine you know he's doing a fine job on the desk. It's not his first time doing it. Um, so it's a shame that it's, you know, seeing his personality, but I still wish they could find a way to push his, his, uh, his funny a bit more. But I mean, yes, it's, it's hard to argue, um, against McKee because the guy just really capitalized on that recent performance and, uh, you know, hopefully Bellator helps them out. So I think, I think Damon made a good point there. Uh, I like Jed, Jed had me worried. Because he spent like the first 35, 40 seconds of his answer <laughs> saying like what he's not going to do, which is fine. I mean, that's that's a very Jed thing to do, and I respect it. Uh, and um, hold on, guys. Am I using the right mic? Oh, this is embarrassing. Okay. Well, anyway, so all my – So, uh, yeah, he, he, he there was a lot of preamble. There was a lot of talking about, again, sort of A.J. McKee more, which almost helped Damon. And then, and then he made some excellent points again about uh, – Yo Prohaska and the sort of unique situation that he's in to potentially become this this big star at, at at 205, which is again kind of one of the thinnest divisions right now, and is kind of in need of of that that name, that popular name, eccentric name, memorable, memorable name, memorable fighting style. So uh, that was a good point by Jed. Mike, I really have to pick a winner between these two. Yeah, that's why you're here. You're supposed to help me I out. Think, We're best friends. I know, I know. I, th- I think this is my first time doing this. I, I I thought I might have done it before, but now I don't know. I don't think I've ever had to judge before. You have. Casey fun. brought you in, remember? You were the little did, the little dot on the bottom of the who screen. Did I, who did I judge? Jed and someone else, probably. Yeah. It was definitely me. I don't remember who it was. Oh, it was so long ago. It was so long ago. I don't have a particular uh, affinity for either fighter, so this so they could you know kissing kissing either fighter's asses was not gonna you know influence me, which would have really helped actually. I wish I I felt one way or another about either guy. Mike, I think I think the win this week, uh, just because not just because I agree with the point, but because I do think it kind of made me look at it in a different way. I I have to, I guess I have to give the win. To one, Mr. Jed Mishu. Oh, I, I think I think Damon's answer was so much more sensible. I think it's very possible it plays out exactly as Damon uh, said it would. But I'm not gonna lie, the Yuri Prohaska answer, Yuri Prohaska answer, excuse me, really tapped into my imagination a bit and really made me think about sort of the dire straits that 205 is kind of in. So maybe I'm just being optimistic and hoping. Uh, in this best case scenario where Yoro Prohashka becomes this big star and kind of revitalizes that division. So Yuri's for sure gonna be a bigger star than AJ McKee. Again, I, not in I don't know. Like I said, I think Damon made a very good case for why AJ could be a breakout star, but there is a lot of uh, ifs there as well. If he will he make his way to the UFC, you know, by next year, who knows? Um, 
But either way, again, both arguments were strong. This was this was splitting hairs, Mike. This was just, you know. All I'm saying is I'm calling this is this is Roy McDonald Gleason two dollar oh garbage. This is Oh my god. You you bring in you bring in Chris <laughs> Lee as a, as a judge over here. That's you bring my in, hey, that's you, my brother. You bring in That's my brother, in, not me. Do you work in New Jersey? Do you, do you, do you work in do you work I in New am, Jersey? Yes. What's going on here? I this am is, part of the New this Jersey. This is a, this is some BS right now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's true. Well, I agree. If AJ McKee was in uh, in the UFC, like 100, percent that dude's the next breakout star of life. But like, dude, like 40 people watched him in the biggest fight in Bellator history. The Bellator is just. It's oof, it's hard. Well, it's hard you know, to be. Next time, if it's like if it's like 400 people that watch the next fight, then Damon was right. But we will have to see. You know, we'll have to if there's a if there's a 10 times increase in audience numbers for his next fight, then Damon who's was. The, right. Who's the judge? Who's the judge that scored uh, Fiziev Lu, uh, Lu winning the third round against Bobby oh Green? Who's that? I can't who's remember. That judge? It yeah, was Texas. Jeremy something. Yeah, that's my new nickname for you, AK. This is how <laughs> this is how deeply you've cut me here. I have a feeling we will be uh, having an emergency meeting with the BTL Championship Committee sometime in the next several days. But and we, we will have a ruling, I'm sure, if it gets to that level. But Jed, good, bad, and different for good times or for bad, you are the winner. AK has awarded you with the victory two straight since the the, the little hiatus hitting the refresh button. You know what the prize is. 30 whole seconds to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Look, you know, uh, it just feels great to be back on top of the podium. It's, uh, I, I fell off a little bit. I wasn't as focused and committed, but I, I've got it together and I'm, I'm building a comeback. But it's not, it's not the most impressive comeback we're going to see because, dear listener, you should go to MMAfighting.com right now and read an article by our own Mike Heck. Uh, called Unpacking the Suitcase Kid, How Trauma, Self-Sacrifice, and a Tragic Night in Philly May Inspire a Miracle. Uh, it is one of the best pieces of writing you're going to read, certainly this month, if not this year. Uh, really, really interesting story about Eugene Aubrey, and so you should, I highly encourage you all to go read that. And, oh, and also, uh, to everybody who, like, three years ago said MMA fighting was dying, eat, eat a big bag of poo. We back, baby. I was, I was, I had this comment loaded as you were speaking, Jen. I was like, "What a classy!" I say, "What a classy champion!" <laughs> I, I feel like I feel better about this call now. I guess I just still feel good about it. Thank you for um, speaking up for all of us. I guess in your own wonderful way. Um, Look, everybody else has too much class to say it, but I, I saw all the people being like, "Oh, MMA fighting, they're, they're dying." That, ooh, oh, everything's going bad. We never left, baby. We just getting stronger. Come at me now. <laughs> Damon, what would you like to say outside of uh, AK's apparent horrible judging on you, in your eyes? I would say uh, I would echo what Jed said. If you get 15, 20 minutes to spare today, go read about Eugene Aubrey. It is one of the most harrowing, chilling, jaw-dropping stories I've ever read. Uh, I mean, just mind-blowing. So I will echo those sentiments. And also, to that point, if I'm going to lose, at least I'm losing to somebody that works for the best website in mixed martial arts, MMA That's fighting. That's right, baby. That's right. And by the way, if you are not of a... Uh... If you're not a big fan of the reading, uh, and if you have a maybe a 45-minute drive ahead of you, you can listen. You can listen. 
to the story of Eugene Aubrey on our podcast network, a little mini documentary we put together, uh, which took a lot of work, but I think it came out pretty fantastic. So multiple ways you could check out the story, and I appreciate the kind words, gentlemen. With that said, this episode is over. We'll be back next week. I don't know if we'll be back Tuesday or Thursday. Who knows? But we'll be here, all right? So for Jed, for AK, for Damon Myron, I am Mike Heck. We'll see you back once again between the legs. Good night, everybody. Where are you at, Colby Covington? I love you guys. I love you guys. <laughs> and all the listeners, I love you guys, too. We love you, AK. Thank you for doing this. Happy birthday, AK. Of course. <laughs> <laughs>Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.